it. If you haven't done so already, please turn to the second chapter of the book of Jonah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Go to chapter 2, and we're going to start there. As we are going through this particular book, there we go. Pastor gave a, a def, uh, basic title for it. He says, this is Jonah's contrition and God's reception in chapter 2. So that's what it basically centers on. And we're going to study that tonight and take a look at what he did when he was actually in the fish's belly. And we're going to talk about that in depth. Now, I always like to go through the entire passage of Scripture with people. So what we try to do at uh, Osawatomi is we practice the the sayings of Nehemiah chapter 8. When the Word of God was open, the people stood, and we read together the Word of God. So would you mind standing tonight as we read Jonah chapter 2, and then we're going to exposit that particular passage. There we read, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, for you have heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. It is kind of interesting when you take a look at this passage that there are all sorts of things that are, are very special about it. And what I'm going to try to do is take a look at it just a little bit. I listened to our brother's sermon this morning, and he did a fine job with telling you all the problems that there was with Nineveh, all the problems that there was with the prophet wanting to go there, and the fact that he didn't desire to, and the fact that he ran away from God. But there's one thing that you don't really see. You'll notice the very first line in Jonah chapter 2 that then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. There's a contrast here with chapter 1. If you really go over chapter 1 and look at it, what you don't ever see is you don't ever see him praying whatsoever. The Lord calls him and gives him a great task to go and to preach against the people of Nineveh, to tell them about the destruction that is coming. There's no prayer. He runs away from God and goes to the city where he's going to hop on a boat to go to Tarshish, and there's no prayer. He makes an agreement with some, some boat owners to go on that trip, and he doesn't pray about it. He goes down into the depths of the boat, sleeps there, and never prays to God. It is interesting that when the storm comes and everything is being tossed about and he can't do hardly anything whatsoever and all the people on board are throwing things overboard and scared so much that they pray, there's not one word of prayer from Jonah. They come and confront him and cast lots. 
And the lot falls on him, so it's obvious that the judgment is because of Jonah. And he confesses, I'm running away from God. But he doesn't pray. They beg him to pray on their behalf, but he will not do it and simply tells them, throw me overboard. I am really amazed at these men who have prayed very hard to their own gods at this point. A worthless action, I will admit. But at the same time, what happened in this particular case is they showed guts. They tried to get back to shore. They worked as hard as they could, and when nothing else would work, they toss him overboard. All of a sudden, the tempest ends. All of a sudden, everything is quiet. All of a sudden, there is no more sea billowing up, and those men are so astounded that they offer sacrifices to the Lord. When you see the word Lord in capitals in your Bible, whether it is a King James Version, a New American Standard, or anything else, remember it is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And what it stands for is Jehovah God. And the fact that He is the one that's over us all. So when you hear that term in a portion that is being read from this pulpit, realize that that's what it means. Jehovah was in charge. He was over it all. He was there. And these Men who do not know God are crying out to God from the boat and offering sacrifices. What sacrifices, we don't know. How they didn't, we don't know. However, I do want to point out one thing. Jonah had a great opportunity in chapter 1 that he missed. If he had confessed his sin and prayed to God and God had answered his request... He would have had a real influence upon those men. Stopping the storm did influence them, but he could have shared his faith directly. I want to suggest to you that uh, there's just no evidence that Jonah did anything. He didn't want to do the Lord's bidding. He sought to go away from God's ordained call from him. He was going to be sent to minister to the people at Nineveh. Even when he knew that judgment was upon him, he wouldn't pray. He wouldn't bow to God whatsoever. He did a whole lot of things. Notice this. Prayerlessness leads to great problems. Do you realize that the Lord tells you to pray? Do you realize at the same time that He wants to hear your prayers? That oftentimes He ministers to you out of those prayers. Now, there are times when people don't want to pray. The people of Israel went against what Samuel had told them. Rather than desiring the right thing, they desired a king. When they were given Saul and Saul failed, they also asked God for another king, and he declared that David was going to be that one. And the people of Israel went to Samuel, who they knew stood for the Lord, and said, please, don't stop praying for us. I want you to turn back to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. And I want you to look at what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 20. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness 
Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake, because it pleased the Lord to make you His people. He tells them, don't worry. In spite of the fact that you have gone against God, God isn't going to forsake His promise to you. God keeps His promises. Everyone perfectly. But I want you to notice the next line. He says, verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. Far be it from God that I would sin in not praying for you. That's what he's saying. In other words, it was so important to pray that he believed that he needed to do it on every single occasion, no matter what. Israel had turned its back on God. God had not turned his back on Israel. Israel had done that which was wrong. God was going to continue to minister to them. And he was going to fulfill his promise in everything that he said. So Samuel says, I'm not going to sin by ceasing to pray for you. Do you realize this, that God gives us instructions as to when we ought to pray? Let's get to that next one, I think. Every once in a while, this thing doesn't move. So, now in chapter 2, we have him in a belly of a fish. And notice the first line that we have in chapter 2. Whereas there's no, no prayer whatsoever in chapter 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of his fish. By the way, it's always time for a believer to pray. Always time. When you're hurting, you should pray. When you're fearful, you should pray. When you are troubled, you should pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall fill your heart and soul. That's what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. When you're joyful, you should pray. You should be thankful to God for what is taking place. When you are far from God, you can return to God by praying. Because that is the method to go back to Him. And when you do pray, you realize how far you have fallen from His grace. In my affliction, Scripture says, I cried out to God and He answered me. Look at verse 2. He said, I cried out to the Lord my God because of my affliction. And He answered me. Jonah had done a lot wrong in chapter 1, hadn't he? He went the other way from Nineveh. Goes to Joppa. Makes an arrangement to get on a boat to go to Tarshish, even further away. He is going against what God wants. He is totally out of fellowship with the Lord. He doesn't even pray when he's in the midst of trial. But yet, when he prays in chapter 2, the Lord answered him. 
That is really a comfort to us, isn't it? By the way, while we're mentioning it, you ought to be praying for pastor. Now, I don't think you just have to pray for his healing of his Achilles tendon. He's at home with his foot stuck up in the air. He's not supposed to move. What a great time to pray that God will give him insight into his word and that he will learn more from it than he's ever learned before. What a great time to ask the Lord that he has a special time with God to grow deeper in his relationship. Because that's what we ought to be praying for every believer. You should not just pray for the physical needs of people. You ought to pray for the spiritual needs. Check out what Paul prayed for when he prayed for churches. He almost always prays for spiritual needs and hardly ever for physical needs. I suggest to you that we miss the boat oftentimes because we're more concerned with the physical than we are the spiritual, when we're concerned with the financial rather than what we're doing for God's kingdom. And I suggest that you pray for that. Pray for Kathy too, would you? It's hard to keep a very active man down and to understand his needs at this moment and for things to go well. May this be a time of a deepening relationship for them and for her relationship with God. May she see God working in special ways. We need to encourage that as well. So when Jonah prays, God hears him. I guarantee you when you pray, God will hear you too. Notice the third thing that we're going to talk about. He also says, when I cried out in affliction, the Lord hears me. No real vital relationship with God in chapter 1 at all, right? He's running. He's away from God. He doesn't want to. All he recognizes is that God's judging him. But even during this great crisis, Jonah's relationship with God is going to be renewed. It's going to be renewed from the belly of a fish. Remember, when you feel far from God, guess who moved? If I am in fellowship with God, God leads me, and I listen to Him, and I keep going. When I resist God, rather than Him working with me, He has to chastise me. He has to draw me back to Himself. He has to cause guilt to fall over me. He has to be grieved in the Holy Spirit with me because I haven't done the will of God. So rather than having a pleasant relationship, there's a strain there. Now, true, the strain is from our standpoint because we're in rebellion. God is always willing to get us back. And God is always willing to forgive us. Notice also that Jonah couldn't say it would be worse because he was in the belly of the fish and the shield, but God doesn't hinder. So, what can we say? God listens to prayer from any location and out of any distress. You are never in a situation where God can't hear you. You are never in a situation where God won't listen to the prayer that is rightly offered to Him. If you don't regard iniquity in your heart, Psalms chapter 66, verse 18, the Lord will hear you. So you have to reject the sin that is within your heart and call out to God. When you do, He hears you every single time. He will listen to you. 
He will make things known to you. I want you to notice in verses 3 through 6 that we have the prayer that overcomes. Verses 3 through 6, the prayer that overcomes. There we read, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me, weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me. Yet you have brought me up, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Um, Jonah shares with you what he personally felt. He told the men, throw me into the sea. What was the sea like when he was thrown in? It's tempestuous. It's overcoming him. He's being surrounded by water. He's in the worst situation he could possibly be in. He was afraid of drowning in that situation. He would have felt that his life was at an end. He even went down so far as to see seaweed go around his head. And yet, in that situation, God protected him. Kind of hard to think of being swallowed by a fish as protection, isn't it? But basically what it amounted to is at that moment being swallowed by a fish kept him from drowning. Now, J. Vernon McGee believes that at this point, Jonah died. His reason for that is found in the New Testament where the sign of Jonah is given by Jesus as what his sign is going to be. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall a man be three days and three nights in the grave. So since Jesus was dead and rose again, therefore Jonah was dead and was raised by God. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture never indicates that he died. J. Vernon McGee does say that when he gets to heaven, he's going to go talk to Jonah. He's going to get it straight from the man's mouth. Not the fish's mouth, the man's mouth. I see it rather this, that God supplied a place for protection for Jonah in the midst of the sea, even down to the depths that a fish could go. He was as low as you could be. As it talks about in this passage, he was down to Sheol, the grave, the possibility of death. Everything was over him. There was no way out in this situation whatsoever because he was in the midst of the tempestuous sea and there was no victory for him whatsoever. So here's what we can say based upon that. Jonah saw the disciplinary hand of the God and the sailors by throwing him into the sea. He acknowledges that the sea belongs to God. All your billows, all your waves have passed over me. God was in control of it. He also says that the waves overwhelmed him and he thought he would drown. No way out. How can I do it? He says that even though he felt God had turned his back on him, Jonah looked to the holy temple of God and knew that if he called out to God, 
It would be just like he was there and worship. The holy temple of God in Jerusalem, where sacrifices were offered, were very special. It was there that atonement for sin was made once a year. It was there that people brought their offerings. It was there that they knew the Shekinah glory of God was present in the Holy of Holies. And so what he's saying is, in God's holy temple, I can be there in prayer, in your presence, in your holy presence. When you pray, do you realize that no matter how bad a sinner you are, no matter what you have done, if you are earnestly seeking God, you are ushered into the absolute presence of God. And there, the holy God of this universe, who is beyond reproach in any way, will hear you. That same God sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for your sin and my sin, and says that if we believe in Him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, if we make Him the Lord of our life, He will forgive us our sins and give us fellowship with Him. Not because we are holy, but because Jesus was holy. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us joint heirness. He gives us the ability to have fellowship with Him for all eternity. And we can worship Him rightly. There's no sin that can keep you from the presence of God. The only sin that will send you to an eternity in hell is the sin of unbelief. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in Him as Lord and Savior, you cannot go to heaven. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given amongst men by which you must be saved. Acts 4.12 By the way, he realized how dire things were when you got away from God. The further you get away from God, the more you realize how dire things are. You are not in control. You believe that there's only judgment coming against you. Chastisement is yours. You have that problem always. I want you to notice also that prayer overcomes the pit in a special way. A child of God is always close enough to be heard by God even when it seems impossible. I can't imagine what it was like to be in the belly of a fish for three days. We know that typically in most stomachs, there's stomach acid. That can't be pleasant to smell. It can't be pleasant to feel. It can't be pleasant to have it all over you while you're in the middle of a fish. And to have that to happen for 72 hours has to be really difficult. But that's where Jonah was. I don't know how long it took him before he finally came to the stage where he was willing to go to God in prayer. I'm sure that the prayer that we see here in Jonah chapter 2 has been refined a little bit from all of that that he offered while he was in the fish. But you want to know what you don't see? Get me out of here! You don't see that. 
what you see is a prayer of thanksgiving all the way through where he is offering praise to God for even the situation that he's in and calling out to God for what he wants to do. Notice the next thing, that failure to pray forfeits God's grace. Look at verses 7 through 9. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayers went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regarded worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you. With a voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Only when Jonah saw that everything else failed did he remember God. Do you realize that more things happen well for Christians when things are going bad than when things are going well? When you are at rope's end, when you have no way to look but up, when you are so down that you can't even think about how to get out of the situation, it is then and only then that oftentimes we cry out to God. In the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish, having been there for 72 hours, Jonah cries out to God. He prays, and he says that he entered the very presence of God. The Lord is everywhere. He's able to hear us under every situation. There is no place that we can go where God isn't. Scripture tells us that if we go to heaven, He's there. If we go to the deepest deeps, He's there. He's always with us. He always is near. He is omnipresent at every single moment. And He is omniscient and knows everything that we're going through immediately. The sailors prayed to their false gods. What happened? There was no mercy. Their prayers were actually worthless. Men who pray to anything but Jesus can't receive what is the most important thing you can receive, mercy. All of us need mercy because all of us have sinned. All of us fallen short of the glory of God. So Jonah offers the sacrifice that God wants. He says he's going to offer his vow and that he's going to pay his vow. A broken and contrite heart is what God wants from us. You know, sacrifices are good in the Old Testament, it talks about, but something is better than sacrifices, according to Psalms, a broken and a contrite heart. Because when we realize how far we've fallen short of glory of God and we are contrite about what we've done, then God hears us. Jonah would pay the vow. What was the vow? God had told him, Go to Nineveh and preach. Preach against them. His vow was simply this, I will do what you ask. I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to preach. He ran from Nineveh in chapter 1. He runs back to Nineveh in chapter 3. Because his heart has now changed. He wants to do what God has told him to do. Salvation is only from the Lord. You'll notice that that's the last line here in his praise. 
In his prayer of thanksgiving, he says simply this, salvation is of God. I can't give you salvation. It's not in me to do it. I can tell you the one who can give you salvation, and you have to ask him for it, and he gives it to you. Because he is capable, I'm not. He is the one who sent his son to die upon the cross for our sins. He is the one who offers salvation to anyone who believes. And he gives it freely. It's the free gift of God, lest any man should boast. And the simple fact is that we have to turn to him even in the most dire of situations. So what's the result of Jonah's prayer? Verse 10 tells you that the Lord spoke to the fish... And he threw him up on the shore. He had been saved from drowning by being swallowed by the fish. He had been kept alive to consider what his Lord had done during the time that he was in the fish. It took three days. And now his prayer of thanksgiving had reached the Lord in his holy temple. And because of that, God freed him from the fish. I've never seen a fish throw up before of you. Jonah experienced it. I can't imagine what he smelled like for days. I wouldn't have wanted to be around him. There are some who said that people who have been in situations that have been reported like this, their skin changes color. The things happen to them. You don't come out pretty. But he came out forgiven. And he came out willing to go. In chapter 1, he was told to go. In chapter 3, he does go. In chapter 2, he found out it was bad not to go. So what's the application for today? I've got several points here. First, have you turned your back on God? Only you can evaluate that. Oh, you ought to do it by looking at God's Word and seeing if you are in opposition to Him. Have you rejected His call in your life? There, I've seen people who, it is obvious that the Lord called them to ministry, but they wouldn't go. And because they didn't go, that means the Gospel didn't get to people that God wanted it to. Do you realize that Ephesians 2.10 tells you that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God before ordained that we should walk in them. There are things that God planned for you to do and you alone can do them. And there are times where people see that God's ministry is upon you and they tell you what they believe you ought to do but oftentimes we don't do it. Running from God never works. Because He is always there. God's everywhere. He knows all, even all our thoughts. And He alone can restore a believer to usefulness and useful service. He restores. He gives you the ministry to do. He works in and through you to accomplish His good purpose. We have to depend upon Him to do it. Second. We'll try it again. There it is. How often do you communicate with the Lord? Through prayer. Jonah ignored God and wouldn't even pray, chapter 1. 
even when he sensed the judgment of God in his life and that it was at hand, he didn't pray. How foolish was that? God, you're trying to get my attention. Here I am. What do you want me to do? Lord, forgive me. So the thing that we need to do is start today with praying. I know we talk about sweet hour of prayer, that we talk about spending quality time in prayer. We have to be honest that oftentimes we don't spend as much time as we need to. Realize this, that there's never a bad time to pray. When you're on the road and you see foolish drivers around you, pray for them. Pray for yourself. When you see situations that really cause you to stress, pray concerning it because God is in control. When you see people that need to know the Lord and it burdens you that they're lost at that moment, pray for them. Scripture tells us in the New Testament that we are to pray for those who despitefully use us. Those who harm us. That we ought to pray for them rather than seeking to take vengeance upon them. How often do you communicate with God? You know the answer. I know God knows the answer. If God was in a deep relationship with you and communication was the only basis by which it happened, would there be enough to convict you? You know, we say that husbands and wives need to talk together. They need to share together. They need to minister together. They need to know each other's thoughts together. They need to come to a place where they really understand what one another believes. God wants that relationship with you even deeper. That you know what God wants to do, and you're praying to get yourself right with God to do it. Notice the third thing. Jonah's prayer was one of thanksgiving. Not a cry for deliverance. Prayer should recognize the greatness of God, be thankful, and then ask God to act. We're not to try to manipulate Him. Jonah didn't say, God, get me out of here. He said, Lord, you've indicated to me what I've done wrong. I praise you for how you've delivered me so far. I will pay my vow. That's a prayer of thanksgiving. So oftentimes it's gimme, gimme, gimme when it should be, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. We don't say that we are thankful to the Lord. We aren't praising Him for who He is. We're not making known the greatness of our God. In the prayer formula Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication... What's first? Adoration. Thanksgiving. Making known to God what He has done. Reviewing all those things that we ought to know that He has done. We didn't get to Psalm 103 in our Scripture reading tonight, but Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who redeems thy life from destruction, who heals all thy diseases, who saves thy life from the pit, who renews your strength like the, the eagle who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. That's praising God for what He's done. That's what we need to do. What's the big lesson in chapter 2? Let's put it this way. The lesson in chapter 2 is 
when you're down and out, you're only a prayer away. When you're down and out, seek the Lord and praise Him for what He has done and for what He has showed you. And depend upon Him that salvation is of the Lord and He can bring it to pass. I would have not said, well, Lord, here I am in the middle of the fish. Throw me up. I would have said, Lord, I don't know what to do. But I want to be right with you. Forgive me. I'll pay my vow. That's what he did. That's what we should do. Jonah chapter 2 is a passage that shows contrition. It shows thanksgiving. It shows dependence on God and says, even when I'm down and out, God's there. Aren't you glad? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time that we've had to look at chapter 2 of Jonah. Thank you for what it shows us. May we, God, depend upon you in every circumstance in our life. Just as Jonah saw that he was in a helpless situation and that you had protected him from drowning, even when the waves were over his head and the seaweed was around his head, you, Lord, gave him deliverance. And he knew that even in that situation, he could call out to you even in your holy temple and be heard. Because salvation comes from you. God, I am thankful that you are holy. I am thankful that you meet needs. I am thankful that even in distress, you are there to be heard. You are there to minister to us. You are there to help us to see our need. And God, you meet it even beyond what we think or ask. May we remember that you are a good God, greatly to be praised, who meets needs that are beyond our comprehension, and that salvation comes for you. Help us to that, and we pray in Christ's name.